0: Welcome to the Catching Health Podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, your own personal health reporter. 18 years ago, at the age of 32, Carol Starr's life changed in an instant when she was broadsided by another driver. She walked away from the accident with bumps, bruises, and whiplash. But soon after, it was clear that she also had a head injury. Carol's here with us today to talk about how her life changed and about her new book, to Root and to Rise, Accepting Brain Injury. Carol, welcome and congratulations on publishing the book.
1: Thank you very much. I'm really glad to be speaking with you.
0: Well, I would like to begin with your accident. I I said that you you walked away. And you didn't really have any major visible injury. So how did you come to realize that you had a brain injury?
1: It wasn't until about maybe six weeks after the accident, I was seeing a physical therapist for the whiplash injury because I really couldn't hold my head up straight for any length of time. And he was the first person who realized that there was more going on for me than whiplash. And to be honest, my memories of that time are a little sketchy because I had a brain injury and I don't know exactly what it was that I did or said that that led him to to believe I had a a brain injury. The the massage therapist that I saw, who was also a physical therapist, she knew the second she put her hands on me that there was more going on for me than whiplash. Um, And the physical therapist contacted my doctor, he agreed. But I really thought that, eh, this is no big deal. I'd never had a concussion before, I didn't know anything about it, but I figured it would just go away on its own. Um, Well, Well, so what were you feeling? Mostly, it was, it was the fatigue was the biggest issue. Uh, the fatigue was just insane. I was napping like four times a day. And I figured that it was because of the pain medication that I was on because of the whiplash. That's what I blamed everything on for a really long time. But as I went off the pain medicine because I didn't need it anymore, the fatigue stayed. Um, the fatigue was such that even my morning shower, I would get so exhausted from that. I would just collapse on the couch afterwards. Couldn't, too tired to dry my hair. I had really bad hair days for about the first year and a half to two years after my injury. <laughs> I'm laughing, but
0: I shouldn't be laughing.
1: But And, I, and I, I I, can laugh about it all now. It wasn't funny at the time, but I can laugh about those things now. But it was bewildering because I didn't understand why everything suddenly got so difficult. I was convinced that the airport had changed the flight pattern of planes. Because every time a plane would go overhead, I would duck. Because it sounded so loud to me that I thought it was coming right at me. And I think when you don't know what's going on, you make up these strange explanations to explain away these symptoms. The planes hadn't changed. It was that I had hyperacusis, insane sound sensitivity. I heard everything as much louder than it really was.
0: Hmm. The fatigue. I've had other people with brain injuries try to describe what that fatigue feels like. It's kind of hard to describe it unless
1: you've experienced it. But can you give it a try for us? Sure. Um, if you think about what it's like after you pull an all-nighter,
0: mm-hmm.
1: multiply that by about 10, at least. Um, it's For me, it's not a physical tired. It's a mental tired. It's everything slows down. Everything gets more difficult, it gets hard to talk for me. I will feel like I'm speaking through jello in my head. Um, I can't make a decision. My emotions, um, I start to lose control of my emotions as, as my brain it gets tired. It's, it is unlike any other fatigue I ever had in my entire life. I still, I have it to this day, every single day.
0: I was just gonna ask you that. Is it yep. the same level or is it better 18 years it later?
1: Is, it is definitely better. Um, I also know how to manage it. Like I, I had a, I had a rest for about an hour and a half before I'm speaking to you today because I know that was what I needed to do. I was out of the house this morning, that come home, and I need to lie down for you know for a while if I'm going to to do something um, like this. Uh, you didn't learn that right away, did you? Oh no, I definitely did not. I, I made a lot of mistakes. Understandable mistakes because I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't understand. Um, I would get myself into situations where my family and friends had to come rescue me, because I would just get so tired. Um, when I was doing brain injury rehab, I would just stand there in the hallway and sit and stand and stare. Therapists would find me because I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have the energy to ask for help, and I would just stand there until somebody realized, hmm, she's been standing there for a long time. Maybe something's wrong. But I couldn't. I couldn't ask for help. You weren't like that all the time. You got like that if you pushed yourself too far? Yes, yes. Um, and the the difficulty was that early on, that would happen like in an instant. I could go from being okay to on the ground, exhausted, really, really fast. The difference for me now is I can still get there, but it takes longer for it, me to get and Do you get
0: little clues now? Have you recognized like little signs that it might
1: happen if you don't rest? Oh, definitely, yes. And I've, I've learned to read those signs. For me, the biggest sign is my injury is in the left side of my brain. And that part of my head, I w- it will start to feel tight. It's, it's not exactly a headache, um, but I start to feel pressure right there. Um, I, I furrow my brow a lot when I as I get tired because I think it's harder to think. Um, my words will start to slow down. I start to get a little bit confused. I call it amused and confused at that stage um, where I'm kind of confused, but I find it funny. Um, Then eventually I get to confused and scared uh, if I don't take care of it. So I I have learned to read the signs and I do better if I stop when I start to feel that tightness in my head and I lie down for a while. If I ignore it and I keep going, I have lost hours. I have lost days Hmm. because I have pushed too hard um, I thought originally that, well, just push through it because you know, beforehand, usually you're a little tired. You, know, you have a cup of coffee, you, you run around the block, you stretch a little bit. Those sorts of things will get rid of some tiredness. Nothing worked, nothing except for lying down flat on the couch or the bed for however long it took. And that could be hours, that could be days.
0: So you mentioned that you had to rest before just having this conversation, with mm-hmm. me, what are some of the things that wear you out quickly?
1: Well, I was I was at my I was at a voices my brain injury voices meeting um, this morning the group that I that I run, and I love doing that, but it is tiring because it's it's making decisions, it's thinking about things, it's running a group and keeping track of of the decisions we've made and where we are on different subjects. Um, anything that uses my brain will tire me out. Um, in the cafeteria, we always have lunch afterwards. There's a lot of sound in the cafeteria, even with earplugs in sound tires me out. Um, just honestly being vertical tires me out Hmm. pretty much everything. And just mentally, not, not again, not physically. It's mental tired.
0: You mentioned the sounds. You still have to wear earplugs 18 years later, but is it better?
1: Yes, it is. Um, I still... I still react to sound, but I recover better. For example, um, I was at New England rehab this morning, and sometimes there's in the cafeteria, there's a door which is, is alarmed. I don't know how many, 10 years ago or so, somebody opened that door by accident, and the alarm, it startled me so much. I, the sound, even with the earplugs in, people had to drive me home because I couldn't recover from it. Wow. Now, if somebody opens that door, I still scream, <laughs> and it still takes me a little while to recover, but I can drive home after that. Um, So I'm still very sound sensitive, but I think I recover from things faster than I used to. Now, we should mention
0: that we're both in Maine, and uh, you live in southern Maine, and the group that you run is at the New
1: England Rehabilitation Center. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that group. Yeah, it's it's called Brain Injury Voices, and um, I founded it along with my mentor, Bev Bryant and we are a group of we're now 10 brain injury survivors and we've come together because most of us can't work anymore because of our injuries myself included but even when you can't work you still want to make a difference you still want to contribute to the world in some way and we all have been members of the of the brain injury support group at New England Rehab and my mentor and I decided to form a group where people could have an opportunity to to pay it forward to to use what we've learned as survivors to help other people understand this injury from the survivor point of view. So we do, we do workshops, we've done keynotes, um, we do a lot of work with students, like university students, we're going into the medical profession. Uh, we advocate for brain injury issues, we peer mentor other survivors. Our motto, our, our, our mission is educate, advocate, support.
0: Which is critical, I think, in particular the educate piece because I think that a brain injury is, it's been referred to what is
1: the invisible injury. You look- look Yes, to look at most of us in, in voices as well as the support group, you would never know anything was wrong with any of us just by looking. You have to look a little deeper.
0: And so you must spend a lot of time maybe trying to explain to people what's going on or ignoring people. I mean, I guess it would depend on where you are in your recovering.
1: Yes. Yeah, we we do um, spend a lot of time explaining what this invisible injury is. And that even though I look fine, there are definite issues that that I deal with. And sometimes people get it. And sometimes people don't. And that's kind of part of the process. Hmm. But we're we especially like when we can talk to to students who are going to be going into the medical profession, because there is so much misinformation out there about brain injury, that we like to, to be able to to get them when they're young.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully we'll get a few people today and increase, that would be great. increase their level of understanding. What did you do before your accident?
1: I was, I was a teacher. I have a master's degree in adult education. And I was kind of a corporate consultant. I would go into different companies and teach courses to workers there. I was also an amateur uh, musician. I played the violin. I was a singer. Okay. All of things that I loved very much
0: and can you still do any of that?
1: No. Um, I I have to rest every day. Um, and most jobs don't like it if you have to nap for several hours um in the middle of the day. And I never know from day to day what my brain is going to give me. Some days it's good, some days it's not so good. You know, like like yesterday, I was tired and I lot I all afternoon. I was on the couch because that's what my brain needed in order to function today. Um, I also um, can't be a musician anymore because of the sound sensitivity. And that that was a, a huge loss for me. Can you still listen to music? I don't anymore. I don't really find it enjoyable, um, I think, because it reminds me of what I can't do. I do go to concerts, um, hear it again. Um, my best friend is was, was also a violinist. So, so we go um, to concerts now and then, now and then and um, Go to the magic of Christmas and um, go to some symphony concerts and I, I can enjoy those I use earplugs I also have um, headphones that I bring um, To make it doable. It took going to the magic of Christmas. It took this. is a number of years ago now But the first year that I went I couldn't even make it to intermission. That was with earplugs and headphones in um, The second year we, we went I made it to intermission the third year we went, I made it to just after intermission. Then the fourth year we went, I finally made it all the way through the concert. And now I can make it all the way through the concert. That's, so it, it's a process.
0: And what was happening to you is your brain just became so exhausted you couldn't function.
1: Yes. And it and it sounds so loud. It just, it's overwhelming. I mean, loud noise can overwhelm anybody's brain. Mine just has a much lower threshold for when I get overwhelmed. But these
0: are common brain yes. injury symptoms? Yes.
1: And is, are you characterized as having a, uh, I mean, what level brain injury? Uh, mine is considered a mild brain injury, and that is such a misnomer because all that mild really means is it's based on how long you are unconscious. I was unconscious for just a few minutes, so my brain injury is considered mild. Anything, I think it's 20 to 30, 20 to 30 minutes or less your injury is mild. Even if you have symptoms for the rest of your life, your injury is still mild. And
0: even though everything that's happened to you is life altering. Yes. So I think that would be the most difficult thing to come to terms with is, and I, it it seems like that's what your book is mostly about, is Mm -hmm. accepting that that was your life then. And now you almost have to create a new life, a new carol.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, To to let go of the things that I can't do anymore and to find to find a new person, to work with the new person that I am now, to 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 find a way to accept that new person, because I I struggled with that for years and years and years. And that's why that's why I wanted to write this book, because coming to terms with all of these changes was definitely one of the hardest parts of all of this because for a long time I hated who I had become since the injury. I did not like this new Carol. I do now. Um, and so the book that I wrote is about how I did that and how can I help other people um, who are struggling along that path because it's it's a long path for most of us with brain injuries. 18 years is
0: a long time. Can you tell me when was it? that you made that transition from hating the person you had become to loving her.
1: It was, it was a process. Um, I think the process for me really began around, around the the fifth year Um, years one through five. I was pretty much just focused on, I was in my mind, I was going to fully recover and everything that I was doing was to try and get back to the old Carol, to get back to who I used to be. I kept I tried so many times to go back to work. I tried so many times to go back to music and I failed every single time. And eventually I was meeting with a counselor and she said to me, is it possible for you to accept that you're not going to make a full recovery? And I can tell you that that question hit me like a load of bricks. And I learned later on that she'd been asking me that question for months. but... I think sometimes you just have to be in the right place to hear something. And all of a sudden I realized that I wasn't failing because I wasn't trying hard enough. I was failing because I was attempting just too much for my brain. And that was a huge turning point for me because right around that five-year mark was when I stopped trying to go back to the old carol and I became more interested in learning to appreciate the new carol. And there had been a little voice inside me that was whispering to me that said, make something. Um, That when I stopped trying to go back to who I was, it gave me some space to kind of listen to who I am now. And the new Carol wanted to do things with her hands. And so I I went went to the craft store, got overwhelmed, left with nothing, felt discouraged and talked to a friend. And I think her daughters were doing paint by number at the time. So she said, well, try paint by number. <laughs> so I did that. I I found a paint by number of a, of a sun. It was just small and doable. And I loved working on that thing. I could only do it for 15 minutes at a time at first, and then I'd have to n- take a nap because I would get so tired from concentrating like that. But I felt successful doing that. Like here was something that, that I could do because I'd failed so, at so many things that, Finding something that I could have even a small amount of success at was was just so such a wonderful feeling to have. Um, that got me into more crafts. I, I learned how to make jewelry. I've done cross stitch and knitting and all kinds of different things. And then I, I then I started to make things for people. People saw what I was making. And said, oh, could you make something for me? And I started to feel less useless. So I feel I felt like for a long time, like brain injury had just made me into a burden to everybody because I needed help from my family and my friends. And I felt like I wasn't worth anything anymore. But when I found a way to give, that helped me to feel better about myself.
0: And it sounds like you started really, really small, and you just kept adding on and adding on and progressing.
1: Yes. And you know, at the time, I had no idea what I was doing. It was just what works in this moment, what works in this now. And that's all that really mattered. And now looking back on it, I can see the pattern that I couldn't have seen, you know, when I was in it, it was just one foot in front of the other and not, and not giving up, but finding those things that I could do. And, and going in the direction of success, wherever I could find success, that was what I wanted. Um, then I had an opportunity to speak about my crafts at the main brain injury conference. That was 2003, I believe. Um, I'd never spoken about my brain injury before, and I was terrified. Hmm. I mean, I was, I, I, you know, I, had, I was a teacher. I had done speaking. I was a performer with the violin, but this was something completely different. And I remember my, my legs shook the entire time I was up there. But I was so proud of myself that I did it. And people came up to me and said that my story meant something to them and it was the first notion that i had that what i'd been through could be helpful to other people and it it felt like at that conference like i'm home hmm. this is this is where i'm supposed to be this is what i'm supposed to do and i started to look you know, for more opportunities you know to speak um and then my mentor and i founded voices and i've been doing keynotes and then writing the book and it's all kind of it's all part of the pattern um and it all started for me. It all started with a paint by number, but it's also tapping
0: into part of your your past, Carol, because you're teaching. Mm, yes, and you're yes. and you're performing, in yes. a way, you know, up there on stage or. Mm-hmm. So you had the strengths, were still there, but they just had to be used in a different way.
1: Exactly, and the longer I, I'm a brain injury survivor. At first, it's like you're... You're more focused on all the ways that you've changed. And now I'm more focused on all the ways that I'm still the same because I've, I've integrated the changes into who I am now, but, and I, I am still this, very much the same in a lot of ways. I just, I have some of the same skills. I can't use them in the same way, but I have found new, a new way to be a teacher because I'm that I am a teacher at my very core. This, my book. I wanted to be a teacher and I found a way to do that. I am I am a performer, because so I was a musician. I get to do that with my keynotes. And it's about working with the brain injury, working with the disability, versus pushing and struggling against it. Letting go. Yes. Yes, a lot of letting go. Hmm. Which I which did not come naturally to me.
0: Well, you mentioned that you're a type A high achiever personality. I know you had told me at one point that you were valedictorian of your high school class third in your
1: college class um you were used to succeeding not failing yes I, I joke now that brain injury turned me from a type A person to a type e minus person <laughs> okay
0: you're still type a you're still, <laughs> you're still a high achiever yes
1: yes um but you're kinder to yourself I definitely am and you know i honestly i like myself better now um because i am i am much gentler with myself. I'm more tolerant of my own mistakes. I can, I can cut myself more slack mm-hmm. than I ever used to before my injury. This would not be the way I would have chosen to learn those lessons, um, but it is what it is.
0: Well, I wanted you to think about way back when you began to transition into accepting your brain injury. What did you think your life would be like moving forward?
1: you imagine it? I knew that I knew that I wanted to do more speaking about brain injury and I knew that I wanted to write a book. Um, I started this book like when I was about about, at about year five when I was kind of starting the acceptance process Um, but I couldn't quite you know write what I wanted to and I think that that's that's what I saw that that's what I wanted. I remember the first time I watched my mentor Bev Bryant give a speech. And my mother was, was in the audience with me and and she leaned over and said, you could do that. Oh, no, no, I don't think so. Um, but it, it, it was a model. It was a beacon, um, something to aim for. And now that I'm a long-term survivor, I hope that, that I can be something like that for other people.
0: And to describe your life now, it
1: matches what you imagined? I think it's better than I than I imagined. Um, I continue to make progress, you know, brain injury wise. I've long since stopped trying to get back to who I was, you know, to the old Carol. I've also stopped comparing myself to the old Carol because I'll, I'll always lose that competition. Um, but I like this life that I have, that I've created. Um, I don't like the limitations that come with brain injury. I don't like having to nap. I don't like having to, to make hard choices about what I can and can't do, but I feel very fulfilled. I feel like I make a difference, that, that my Brain Injury Voices group, all of us together, we make a difference. I think I've written a book that can help other brain injury survivors in their journey. And so I feel like I'm, I'm contributing to the world in a way that works for me. I think that we all want
0: to be relevant, Yes, and I think that you are even before you wrote the book. I've known you for several years now. I've heard you speak. Um, we've met in person. I, I think you've always been relevant, but I think you've come to recognize it.
1: Hmm. Yes. Yes. And I think a lot of acceptance is becoming comfortable in, in your own skin again. You know, that you know, brain injury. Uh, changes us so much that suddenly everything we knew about ourselves is different. It takes time to become comfortable again in who you are. It's, It's kind of like growing up all over again. It really is. Um, so many times during this whole process, I have felt like I'm growing up all over again. Um, what do you think
0: the first step should be? And is it different for each person?
1: I think it probably is. But when people ask me that question, my response is always find something you can do. That the more that you focus on what you can do, whatever that is, it does not matter how small that is. That's where you start, that's where you build from. That amazing things can happen when you start with whatever it is that you can do and you just, you go, um, However, it doesn't matter, your pace doesn't matter, however slow you go. It took me 12 years to write this book. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how slow I go, that I will continue, you continue to move forward, that if you focus too much on what you can't do, that gets depressing, that, that stops one in, in your tracks. It's that, you know, focusing on what you can do, that's where, that's where you find your power. That's that's what my advice would be, I guess.
0: Well, let's talk about the book. Uh, the teacher in you comes out very loud and clear, at least to me, it is a well laid out easy-to-understand lesson plan. Mm-hmm. Yes. But talk about how you decided to build that book.
1: What I knew... People,
0: and what people can expect when they read it.
1: Sure. Um, the book is a, a series of essays about coming to acceptance after brain injury. Each essay is a, a, a piece unto itself In that somebody that doesn't have to read chapters one and two, in order to understand a chapter three, I wanted it to be something that people could Read in whatever order they want to read it in I I put it in an order that makes sense to me, but the book can be read in any order you want to whatever is works for somebody's journey. Um, I also knew from the start that I wanted to include questions at the end something to help people along their own journey because there's power in listening to or reading my story, but there's even more power when people can apply what I've learned to their own journey. And originally I was just gonna write the questions and then a, a member of my writing group from Brain Injury Voices said, well, why don't you make this into a workbook with the lines and everything? And I had not thought of that. And it was a wonderful suggestion. And it really, um, I think added you know, to the book. So each, each chapter is is, is, pretty, is relatively short. Um, Because, you know, for people with brain injuries, it's hard to focus for very long. So I made a lot of design decisions with this particular audience in mind. I made the type bigger. This space, there's there's a fair amount of white space. Because, I I mean, I struggle with reading. I still do. And so I wanted to create something that that people could move through easily at their own pace. And that it's okay if you don't remember what you did in Chapter 1. Because you don't need it for Chapter 4. Um, and how can people get it? The book um, It's available on Amazon and, um, I will be doing a, a book launch, um, celebration. Um, uh, it's going to be at New England rehab hospital on July 11th from five 30 to seven in the cafeteria. And I'll be doing, um, a reading from the book, talking about accepting brain injury and, um, I have signed copies there too. So that's going to be in
0: Portland, Maine. Are you going to do the circuit? Are you going to start traveling? Well, more. I'm,
1: I ho- I hope to be doing some more. I, I I love to do keynotes at brain injury conferences, um, so I have I have a couple of those lined up. So um, the book will be available. Those those sorts of things. Um, I have some friends in the brain injury community who have blogs who have said that they they would like to to help me um, to get the word out with information on their blogs. Um, so I'm I'm kind of learning my way through how to get the word out, because ultimately. I think I've written something that could help people and so I'm I I'd, I'd like people to know about it. I think it
0: also helps families of people.
1: Yes. Yes, to to get an, to 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 have an understanding of what we go through because I've reached some distance from my own acceptance journey so I've been able to look back at it in a way that and, and describe it in a way that I know I could not have described it while I was going through it that I needed the the distance of time to be able to see the patterns and those sorts of things. And I think that can be really helpful for families and friends to kind of, to be able to see their own survivor in perhaps in my story.
0: Also, you've got an anniversary coming up.
1: I do. Yes.
0: The anniversary Mm -hmm. of your accident, which used to be a big negative deal before, Mm -hmm. but no
1: longer? No, it isn't. Um, it, it used to be that that was a day that, that I would cry a lot. I would think a lot about who I used to be. I would mourn the loss. And it took about eight of the anniversaries for me to figure out a strategy um, that would work. And what I came up with, and this is a chapter in the book, is that I got a new life on July sixth, nineteen 1999. So I decided to, to commemorate that day by doing something new so every year on July 6th I do something I have never done before it doesn't have to be big but it just has to be new I mean the first year I did this I went with friends to a restaurant I'd never been to had a dish I'd never eaten before um, last year I, I tried a stand-up paddleboard board. last only lasted a few minutes at it but <laughs> but I tried it um, I'm going to be on a friend's radio show um, this year on July 6th
0: all right so you also talk about taking risks in your book. So although I can picture you doing a radio show, I mean, you're doing this podcast and you're a natural,
1: so you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I I, that's made my the anniversary day. It's 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 a day I look forward to um, that I will always know that it's the day that my life changed forever. But I now recognize it as my second birthday and I celebrate it like a second birthday because I did get another life. And and I'm grateful that I get to have a chance to to do something with that life and to make a difference. You talk about gratitude. It must
0: still be hard sometimes for you. 18
1: years later, you must still have those moments where you're not happy. Oh god, absolutely. Yes. Um I was actually I was just in Canada with my two best friends from college last week We were all celebrating that we all turned 50 this year. So we were all celebrating together and even you know when I travel it doesn't mean I don't still need to rest because I do. Um you know I rested in the visitor center in St. John. I rested at the Canadian Potato Museum. I rested in a garden and there were times when I had to make hard choices that they were going to go off and do something. That I couldn't do. I wanted to, but no, nope, I have to rest. And you know, when I when I get when I can't do something that I really want to do, that's when it's like oh. Or when there's something that that goes all day, that I would really love to be able to do, but unless there's somewhere where I can rest, I can't do it because I can't do anything that goes all day without, you know, at least an hour and a half somewhere in there of of time flat.
0: So you couldn't go to the potato museum with them. But if you no. had gone and pushed yourself, you might have lost the entire next day, maybe.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I'm better at making those 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 choices now because I know what the consequences are. I have lived the consequences um, numerous times. But it's still, it's like, it's just hard. You know, like one day they they were able to go into into the the city um there in Canada where we were and I couldn't do it um I wanted to but I couldn't do it um because I was already overtired at that point and I and I I needed like four or five hours to to lie down so that because the next day we were traveling home and I knew that if I didn't get a really good rest the trip home was not going to be pleasant So you've learned what the balance
0: is between how far you can push yourself and when you need to just let go?
1: For the most part, I mean, it's not that I don't goof sometimes, because I I definitely do. Um, But for the most part, I do. And I can laugh now when I goof. Um, I can say, "Ah, that Brain Hilda is in the building. (laughs) I was just
0: going to ask you about Brain Hilda. You have to tell us about Brain Hilda.
1: Yes, I I I not, not, can't remember no, when I did this, but I named my brain injury. I call her Brain Hilda because it does feel like like there is another another person in me um, that that my brain controls things in ways that I just don't. So it felt like there was a personality in there. Like my brain is a diva; she gets what she wants when she wants it. <laughs> so and she's kind of a drama queen. So I said, well, let's give her this dramatic name. So I came up with Brain Hilda. So everybody I know knows about Brain Hilda. And it's can, a nice shorthand.
0: They can see Brain Hilda emerge sometimes even before you do?
1: Yes. Um, people tell me that they see it in my eyes, that my eyes get, get dark. Um, I get, what, get a deer in the headlights kind of look as things go. Um, my family and friends, um, they have gotten really good at it. They, they can see when my head gets tight just about the same time I start to feel it. That some, something in my expression, something in my eyes changes. And for the people who know me best, um, they're really good at, at spotting it now.
0: And they find you a park bench or something so you can mm-hmm. take a rest.
1: Yes. Um, yes. The, the The joke is that I sleep around because I have napped in many different locations.
0: <laughs> You've got a good sense of humor.
1: <laughs> you know, and my, my mentor, Bev Bryant, she taught me that. She taught me how important it is to be able to find ways to laugh, even in the midst of things that aren't really funny.
0: I remember meeting Bev Bryant many, many years ago. And that is the one thing that struck me the most is she was so funny and she would Mm -hmm. make fun of herself. Yes. Just as much as anything.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And, and she taught me that. And it was, it was such a wonderful lesson now to be able to take forward myself. So other than to get your book, what would you like
0: to leave people with? what lessons do you think are the most important
1: i think that even when your life changes dramatically that life isn't necessarily ruined it is different that that it is still possible to have a good life even with a disability even with a brain injury that it's about finding that way to move forward and that life is life could be ruined if I, if I chose to look at it that way but I don't I choose to look at it like I have a different life and it it took me a long time to get there and you have to go through a lot of grief a lot of sorrow a lot of work before you can come to the to the acceptance part but you can live you can live a good life even with a disability it is possible i think that that's that's kind of what where i where i'm going with everything all right Well, I've known you
0: for several years. I've seen you speak. I've watched you teach. And and yet, until I read your book, I never realized how much you had struggled. I I think your book provides an incredible amount of insight and hope. And although primarily it's for somebody with a head injury, as I mentioned before, I think it's very much also for friends and family members who are trying desperately to understand and to be supportive, and many times aren't quite sure what to say, what to do, how to act? Yes. Yes. Well, I think you're a rock star, Carol Starr. <laughs> <laughs> I and I will make sure to, with, within the blog post, that will go with this podcast to let people know how to get your book and also how they can get in touch with you. Is the easiest way through, you have two websites.
1: Yes, I, I, either website. Both both of those websites will um, will get to me. Which to are? Um, braininjuryvoices.org and caroljstar.com
0: And you are available for speaking engagements.
1: Yes, I am. All right. Well, thank you, Carol.
0: I have been talking with Carol Starr. She is a keynote speaker, nationally known now. She's the leader of Brain Injury Voices and she's the author of the book To Root and to Rise, Accepting Brain Injury. You've been listening to the Catching Health podcast Thank you for listening. And for more health reporting that makes a difference, be sure to visit my blog at catchinghealth.com.